It's More Money with leading economist Steve Moore. Stephen Moore is with us, economist. With more than 30 years' experience as an economist and as a leading thinker of government on business, showing deep understanding of the shifts in the global economy, he's leading economist Steve Moore with More Money on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Welcome, folks. This is the More Money Show on WABC Talk Radio, the number one talk radio station in America with the smartest listeners in the world. So thank you so much for joining. I'm on every Saturday afternoon from 1 to 2 p.m. We talk about money and finance and politics, and I'm honored to follow my great friend um, and mentor, Larry Kudlow. So I hope uh, I hope you're have all having a great weekend, a beautiful day along the East Coast, a little chilly, but it's hard to believe two weeks to Christmas. Unbelievable. After this show is over, I'm going to start doing some Christmas shopping, which I've done none of so far this year. Um, let's get right into the policy stuff that I wanted to talk about. Uh, by the way, I will not be taking calls today. We are live, but I have a jam packed show with some really fantastic guests, including um, Les Rubin and Dan Mitchell, who have a great new book out that everybody has to get called The World's Greatest Ponzi Scheme about our massive national debt and what to do about it. Um, And I have the president of Goya Foods, who I interviewed actually at a conference earlier this week. I think you'll be fascinated to hear what he says. You know that he was targeted by left-wing groups uh, a year or two ago. Uh, and that actually led to better business for him. He actually had more business when these left-wing groups attacked him for being a patriot. And so that's a happy, good news story. But I want to start uh, today's show by talking about Donald J. Trump. I was very honored to uh, tr- travel to Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Cal- uh, Palm Beach, Florida, uh, the last couple of days. He spoke at a big uh, rally uh, there at Mar-a-Lago uh, of a group called Moms for America, uh, a great group of wonderful women who are moms who care about our country. And Trump was so good when he spoke to them. He said, you know, moms are the real engines of our economy. <laughs> and he is so right. You know, without moms, we don't have kids. And without kids, we don't have people. And without people, we don't have an economy. And we don't produce things. And so moms are really the underappreciated uh, spinal cord of our economy. And Trump spoke to, uh, it was a huge, huge crowd. I, I think several thousand of these moms there. And they, the, the affection they have for Donald Trump was just amazing. I mean, they, they, when he walked in the room, it was like the Beatles had just come in. I mean, it was uh, uh, I, the screaming and the yelling uh, and uh, the fan support that he received and people loved his speech. But then after he was done, I got the, um, uh, he had asked if I could uh, talk to him a little bit about what was going on with the economy. So he and I talked for about 30 minutes. And I want to relay to you some of the things that we talked about. I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to divulge any any secrets, but I just want you all to know. And, and, and incidentally, I know that this is a, a not a politics show. In other words, we're not partisan. I know that we have independents, Republicans, Democrats. I know people listening to this show have very, very different opinions about Donald Trump. But I want to talk a little bit about his policies. I'm not going to talk about his personality uh, because people have already made up their minds about that. But 
I always say this when I talk about Trump, which is that it's not about his personality. It's not about some of his antics. It's really about, do you agree with his policies? Do you think that what he did for the country was good or bad? Were there mistakes made during Trump's first term? Sir, he should have fired Anthony Fauci the second day he was on the stage at the Wall Street Journal, I mean, at the uh, at the White House. He, he should have, um, I think, gotten a, uh, never allowed the U.S. economy to be shut down, not even for a single day, um, although he was very quick at getting it reopened. But um, and not every policy he put in place, I agree with. I agree with. I I think we should be part of the uh, Pacific Trade Deal. He pulled us uh, out of that. I think that was a mistake. But when you look at what he did on taxes, on regulation, on most of his trade deals, on border issues, on fighting crime, on uh, instilling a new uh, kind of kind of a new patriotism and a new appreciation for our country what he did on um, trying to make sure that every middle-class person and every person of whatever gender or ethnicity or color of their skin had job opportunities. The statistics are unbelievable, and I want to walk you through these because this is going to be critical to what happens in the elections, which are now, amazingly, less than 11 months away. And so let's start with income. What, what happened with people's incomes when Trump was president versus during Biden's presidency. So when Trump was president, the average income uh, for the median income family for his first three years in office, that is, and so Biden's been in office for three years now and Trump's first three years to compare apples with apples, the income was up $6,500 for the median income family, adjusted for inflation, $6,500 under Biden the median income over his first three years is down by between $2,000 and $2,500. So that means that there's been about a $9,000 spin. In other words, we were up $6,500 in income in terms of the middle class under Trump, down almost $2,500 under Biden. That's a big deal. That's a lot of money for middle class people making ends meet. Now let's talk about the border. Let's I mean that's one that just jumps out at you. Under Donald Trump, virtually every year he was president, illegal immigration was reduced. Was reduced. And we still let people come in this country legally. We didn't have a war against legal immigration. We we did try to shut off and, and close off illegal immigration because we cannot have terrorists. We cannot have um you know, people who might be criminals or other problems uh, come into the country in an unregulated system. I am pro-immigration, as most of you know. I think immigrants are unbelievably uh, important to our economy, and they make incredible contributions, whether they come from Africa, whether they come from Asia, whether they come from South America, whether they come from Mexico, an unbelievable a number of incredibly hardworking and talented people who are in many cases brainiacs, but they, they're the ones who do the service jobs in this country too. And so um, under Biden, whereas under Trump, we saw a reduction every year in illegal immigration. If you look at the curve, it goes straight up. As soon as Biden comes into office, the number of people who came in illegally went up several million, 
several million. In fact, I, someone was telling me the statistic the other day, and I cannot verify it. So do not quote me on this. I have to verify this. But it sounds about right. The more illegal immigrants have come in in the first three years of Biden's presidency than in any three year period that came in, uh, t- you know, during the great migration stage of America 100 years ago. So that's through Ellis Island. You know, so more people came in illegally over the border than came in through Ellis Island 100 years ago. That's a pretty amazing statistic. Now, let's talk about some of these other ones. Jobs. You've heard uh, Joe Biden. He said it again. Yes. Oh, I'm the job creator. I'm the biggest job creator ever. No president has ever created all these jobs. I've created millions of jobs. Well, folks, that is a, uh, a let's I'm not going to call it a lie. I'm going to call it uh, a, a misdirection. Uh, a it's it's a it's a using statistics in a way that distorts the reality because it turns out about a million of these jobs that he's talking about having created are just jobs that were created under Trump that went away when we shut down the government and many blue states like New York and California sh- shut down their businesses and guess what as soon as COVID was over those those businesses reopened and the jobs came back so those were jobs that were started under Trump that temporarily went away, and Biden's taking credit for those. And so I think most people realize that's a very illegitimate thing to do. Um, Let's talk about some of these other statistics on the economy that I think are so interesting. If you look at um, what's happened with the debt, the debt, now Trump does not have a great record on deficits or debt. I will admit that. And I'm the first to admit that our debt problem is a result of Republicans and Democrats, both parties, spending way, way, way too much money. And I think everybody understands that we're spending about $2 trillion a year more than we should be. And so we do have to take a hatchet, a chainsaw to the budget. And unfortunately, right now, neither party really wants to do it. And, you know, Donald Trump, for all his um, attributes, is not one who feels like he wants to make major cuts in government spending. I hope he does, but we will see about that. But Biden, not only is he not cut spending, he has added. $6 trillion in three years, and over 10 years, that's going to be the equivalent of $10 trillion of more debt. That's an abysmal record, a terrible record. I'm going to give you a couple more. I'm running out of time here, but these statistics are incredible. Um, mortgage rates. Mortgage rates were less than 3% when Trump left office. Today, they're between 7 and 7.5%. 7. Now, they were up to 8%. They've come down a little bit, mercifully. But that still means you buy a new house, your mortgage payments every month, instead of being $1,800 a month, are going to be closer to $3,600 a month. That's a huge cost. It's a, an assault on the American dream. How about inflation? Now, again, good news. Inflation's down to about between 3 and 4%. That's still too high, but it's not the 9.2% we had last year. But ladies and gentlemen, if you look at the inflation rate when Trump came into office, it was 1.6%. And then it went to 9.2% under Biden. It's come down to about 3.6%, but that's still way too high. And things now are roughly 20% more expensive on average than when Biden came into office. And for food and for gas and for mortgages and things like that, prices up between 25 and 50%. So yes, Americans are angry about that. Um, if you look at energy production, that's a key one. We would be under under Trump. We became energy independent. You all know this. I talk about it all the time on this show that we were producing more oil and gas than 
any other country in the world, including Saudi Arabia, including um, Russia, and including, um, uh, let's see, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and Iran. We were producing more than they were. And now, all of a sudden, we're on this pathway to producing virtually no oil and gas. That's what Biden wants, no oil and gas production. We would be producing about two and a half million more barrels a day, a day, if uh, if, uh, Donald Trump's energy policies were still in effect. Um, I could go on and on with these statistics. And at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, we're putting together a report just comparing and contrasting about 50 different statistics. But I want to end on one that I think is really amazing. And I think a lot of you, even if you're a Trump supporter, will be surprised about this. Do you know that when Donald Trump was president, the levels of air pollution, water pollution, all sorts of environmental problems, they went away. We actually reduced air pollution under Trump. He wasn't a polluter. I know the green groups hate him, but we actually produced more goods and services. We had very powerful GDP, and yet the uh, air quality of our cities improved, in some cases remarkably, under Trump. So the idea that he doesn't care about the environment is crazy. Now, he doesn't want to shut down our energy, as, as Joe Biden does, but he has he does care about clean air and clean water and open spaces and national parks. Incidentally, when I was in Trump's office, he has this wonderful picture uh, on his desk. And it reminded me, you may some of you may recall this. I think it was Fourth of July 2017 or 2018. I think it was 2018. He had a big Fourth of July celebration at Mount Rushmore. Do you all remember that? And it was amazing. And and the the scenery of him standing there in front of Rush, Mount Rushmore and in front of our four great presidents, you know, Lincoln, Washington, um, Jefferson, and um, of course, T- uh, Theodore Roosevelt. It's it's an amazing shot. Uh, it just it makes you so proud to be an American to see the kind of patriotism that Trump believed in. And so uh, I'm here to tell you, he has his game face on. He's ready to go. He's optimistic about this country. He can turn things around. And ladies and gentlemen, we need to turn the direction of this country around. I'm with the 80% of people who think the country is headed in the wrong direction. But I guarantee you, give Donald Trump six months, and we're going to see this country moving in a very positive direction again. Um I'm going to take a quick break. We'll be back with our two financial experts, Rob, uh, Bob and Ryan Payne. This is the More Money Show on WABC. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show. Now we come to our finance and stocks and investment uh, portion of the show. And, of course, we have regulars. Uh, Bob and Ryan Payne of Payne Capital uh, Management. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining as always. Uh, Bob, let's start with you. What do you make of this new jobs report that came out Friday morning? Uh, It was kind of a middle of the road kind of report, some good news, some bad news, but certainly no big reduction in hiring. How do you see it? You know, the way I see it, Steve, it's uh, it's great news, right? It confirms that the labor market's cooling, which suggests that, you know, wage inflation will seem that will continue to do the same thing. So I see inflation continuing to moderate, which is exactly what the Federal Reserve wants to see. Good chance we're going to see interest rates cut next year. No more raises. So we saw, Bob, we saw in that report a pretty good 
hefty increase in wages. Uh, I think it was, what, 0.35 or point. I forget the exact number, but it would look like a pretty good increase in wages, suggesting maybe there is some wage uh, pressure right now. Well, it, it, it's it's been it's been a tad higher, but productivity is increasing, Steve. So it That's suggests, good. yeah. So with productivity up, we're able to get wage growth without yep, inflation, yep. which means that you know it'll be more money for everybody to spend, and so they can enjoy the Santa Claus rally that we're having in the market. And uh, enjoy a happy holiday. So, uh, Ryan, uh, speaking of Santa Claus, it's been a good year, really, for stocks throughout the year. You, you've you been right about this. You've been bullish. Uh, do you anticipate? I mean, everybody, I mean, everybody, <laughs> all the economists are saying, oh, it's going to slow down in 2024. Of course, that's exactly <laughs> what they said this time last year. And the economy, if anything, sped up a bit, although the, um, you know, the uh you know, there are some signs of uh, slowing down, but how do you read the economy right now and how should investors adapt to that? Yeah, I always say, you know, when an economist gets their forecast wrong, they just push it out further. Um, and that's pretty <laughs> much the truth. not you, though, yeah, Steve. That's because you were, they, you were... picked, they picked, you know, eight of the last three recessions, right? <laughs> yeah, I do love that. Um, and I know you you were kind of on our same side there last year saying we wouldn't go into recession this year. And I think it's more the same next year. You know, we kind of have that not too hot, not too cold, where you know wage growth is actually just slowing a little bit. Uh, if you look at it year over year, it has come down a little bit. Um, but the labor market's still strong, and we know inflationary pressure continues to cool off. I mean, we have oil now around $70 a barrel, which is a huge uh, decline from where it was. And that's really just like kind of a tax break for everybody so I think overall, the big picture is you have moderating inflation going to next year. If wages stay relatively strong, which they should because we have a strong labor market, that's usually the determiner of whether people spend or not. And they'll probably keep spending. Even if prices are higher and they'll complain about it, doesn't mean they stop mm-hmm. spending. And I think that trend continues next year. And what do you see, uh, Bob, with uh, interest rates next year and bond rates? You know, they've, they've gone up, you know, considerably, although they've been drifting and down a little bit. Recently, I saw, by the way, that the mortgage rate, which had gone all the way up to 8 percent, fell to I think it was 7.1 percent nationally. So that, you know, that's a bit of a reprieve. How do you see the interest rate uh, scenario playing out next year? Well, I think that's that's really good news, Steve, on the mortgage rate. And it's all about watching the 10 year Treasury rate, which a little more than a month or so ago was pressing 5.2 percent. Everybody's hair was on fire. Um, they were very excited about getting, you know, 5% in their money market, but that was the time to start buying bonds. It's still a good time to invest in bonds because rates are going to mm-hmm. either go sideways or go down from here because inflation is going down. There's no reason to keep these rates as high as they've been. So, Ryan, uh, we just got a couple minutes left, but, you know, I had a meeting this morning with the top Wall Street investment uh, manager, um, and uh, he's done really, really well over the years. I'm not going to mention his name, but, you know, he was bearish. You know, he thought he's he's his scenario is we've got this massive debt. We've got, uh, you know, government spending, which has really been out of control. And he's really worried about what this will mean for the economy and for stocks in the foreseeable future. And I wonder if you could kind of, because obviously you're on the other side of that bet. So how do you respond to people say that this debt uh, in Washington is going to be a big, big uh, melter of growth? Yeah. 
Well, first off, that money manager needs to start listening to our segment every week and he'll, he'll get a better view <laughs> of how to allocate his capital. Right. Um, <laughs> but no, other than that, I think I don't think the debt uh, is something you can discount. I think that is a problem. I think it's a yep. longer term problem. Um, you know, yep. we have interest payments now that are larger than our military budget that I think that's going to haunt us for a long time. But I don't think it's going to derail the economy completely. I don't think it's going to put us into recession specifically next year, because we know next year it's an election year. Um, the government's going to pull out all the stops, whether it's infrastructure spending. We have a lot of money that's going to be spent on onshoring. So I, I think it's a longer term problem, but I think shorter term reality of it is next year with the Fed cutting rates most likely and a lot of money being spent within the economy. Uh, maybe it's, a, it's, it's we deferred another year or two, but I think the immediate future is you got to be more optimistic than pessimistic. Uh, that's what I would tell your money manager friend. So uh, we got just a, about a minute left. I want to put you guys on the spot then. So where do you see, and this is for both of you, and we'll just do rapid fire. Uh, wh- where do you see the Fed funds rate a year from now? Bob, start with you. I think we're going to be closer to four than we are five, what? Steve. Okay. Uh, I think rates are and what, what, we're at, going to be what cut are we by right the Federal now, Reserve five. sometime next year, maybe twice, maybe as many as four times, because they're going to be able to take okay. a victory rap on beating inflation. Okay. Ryan? Well, yeah, if they cut four times, I think Bob could be right. That means your money market fund is going to be at like 3%. So I know you're getting 5% today. So the message here is get your money invested now because your reinvestment risk sitting in cash is greater than ever. And most investors are still just sitting in cash with like 5.7 trillion in money market funds. So second uh, and last question, because we're running out of time here. Uh, where do you, so we had that a roller coaster ride on the S and P 500. It was down roughly 20% in 2022 and up about that same amount in 2023. Where, what, what do you see? Uh, we'll start with you this time, Ryan, where, where do you see the S and P in terms of percentage increase or reduction next year, oh, you know, this time next year? Well, I think we're looking at double-digit earnings growth. Uh, so to Bob's wow. point, I think we're going to be at new highs next wow. year. But I also think broaden out your exposure because, remember, seven stocks are 30% of the S&P yeah. 500. Yeah. Yeah. And you want to you broaden out your exposure from there. We're already seeing it happen. Uh, we had that lower inflation number about two weeks mm-hmm. ago now. Real estate's doing better. Financials, yep. uh, international stocks have actually moved a lot because the dollar's weakened. Broaden out your exposure. It's critical to your long-term success. And Bob, do you disagree with Ryan at all? How do you disagree with genius? Come on, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I keep trying Smart to find some. <laughs> it's like splitting the atom, trying to get you guys to. Uh, no, but it's good. So you're Bob. Finally, Bob says something smart. <laughs> so basically, uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, stay bullish because you 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 know be yep. bullish but stay bullish. Uh, is that the takeaway for 2024? Absolutely, Steve. What I think you see is we're in a classic bull market, right? We hit an all-time record mm-hmm. high two years ago next month. We had a correction that ended October a year mm-hmm. ago. We had a, yep. you know, so a classic bull run between the beginning of October of last year to July of this past yep. summer. Yep. A 10% classic correction, right? We had a 10% correction, yep. market yep. bottom. Yep. We've been off to yep. the races. We're going to see new highs perhaps by the end of this year. Maybe as early as uh, the All first right. quarter you know, a year of next from now, year. It's going to be a good I'm, year to be an investor. 
Bob, you know I'm taping this. So for a, a year from now, when we're doing this, we're gonna we're gonna hold you accountable. I sure hope you're right. That's Bob and Ryan Payne, two of the best in the business of Payne Capital Management. This is the More Money Show, and we'll be right back. Hey, and if you're thinking to yourself right now, as always, okay, Bob and Ryan, we get it. The world doesn't end very often, and you're thinking I need to get my portfolio in shape for retirement. I need to know what to do. Well, here's a shot to do it. We kept ten slots open for the entire show. If you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement, Bob and I will run for you our now famous total financial master plan. We'll do that with no obligation or cost. There's not a firm out there that will do this work up front. We literally build you your own personalized financial portal. We give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life, and we literally hone in on every financial issue you need to address today, whether it's an income plan for retirement. How do you take Social Security? There's a lot of ways to take it. Only one right way for you. How do you draw from your portfolio without running out of money? How do you factor in inflation? We're going to put together a dynamic income plan so you don't run out of money. We're going to look at diversification. Markets have been all over the place the last two years. Has your portfolio been like a yo-yo? Or have you been sitting in cash, paralysis by analysis, not knowing what to do or can't figure out what to do? Bob and I will put together a full investment game plan, tie it to your goals, show you how to grow your wealth, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life, and we'll look at fees and taxes. Wall Street loves to sell you high-cost, tax-inefficient products, whether it's an annuity, insurance product, structured product, mutual fund, brokerage product. We'll do a deep dive of every investment you own. We'll show you how to reduce the cost and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make. It's what you take. You'll get Bob and I's full tax playbook. We have 10 slots open if you saved over a million dollars for your retirement. All you have to do is text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. If you're one of our next 10 callers, you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement. Our team of financial advisors and certified financial planners will help you to craft your own unique total financial master plan. Now, there's no obligation, no cost. Another advisor on the street will do this work for you up front, but all you have to do is be one of our next 10 callers. That's 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692, or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. So, Bob, you know at our firm, Payne Capital Management, of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E. You know, we have offices here in New York, Philadelphia, Jacksonville, and, you know, really, all we think about when you get down to it is basically how do we keep people financially independent? How do we get them ready for retirement? And I thought we could discuss today, you know, one thing that we do come across a lot is financial planning is kind of like having a personal trainer. And I know you have one down there in Naples, Florida now. You're getting in good shape. So I thought we could equate what good financial planning looks like to actually getting into good physical shape. Well, you know, Ry, I think there's a, it's a great corollary because – Having a trainer makes you accountable. Having a certified financial planner makes you accountable, makes you show up and do the things you need to do in a timely fashion. Look, everybody hates to work out, I'm telling you. And there are days where I can come up with a million reasons why I don't want to go to the gym. And I can tell you there's clients who call me have a million reasons why they don't want to make a contribution to 401k. They don't want to you know, make a decision. They want to procrastinate. Being accountable, that's half the battle. I think it is, too. And I think there's just so much advice out there. Um, Like if I was going on the Internet right now and find out what's the best healthy diet and workout regimen, you would get so much conflicting advice and overwhelming, probably a lot of bad advice (laughs) that it's 
like it almost becomes paralysis by analysis because there's too much information. So I think, you know, having a system, having a program, there's lots of ways to cut a cake, but sticking to one program is usually your best really road to success when it comes to physical health. Same thing through financial health. Get a strategy, tie it to your goals, stick to it through thick and thin. It's that simple, but it's very hard to do in practice. You know, the other thing I see, right, Wall Street, the insurance industry, the banking industry, they're really good at creating financial products that most of us don't understand. We know are very <laughs> expensive. And in most cases, you know, they're really not for you. And I see the same thing happening at the gym. They put in this new equipment. Um, they're trying to, you know, come up with the, the, you know, the new shiny object. And that's where having someone who knows what they're doing really makes a difference, right? Because the trainer will tell me, you don't need that machine. You know, it's not something that's going to help you. Same thing with these investment products. Right? You're able to filter out, you know, what's the basics. You use common sense when it comes to investing. Same thing you do when it comes to working out. Well, that's it too. Like with a personal trainer, all they're thinking about, uh, you know, night and day is their job is what's the best technique, um, you know, through experience, what have they seen work, doesn't work, how do you get injured, not get injured. And I think that's kind of our job as well. We're always thinking about what can go wrong, right? And I think that's the real key to good financial planning is not making bad decisions <laughs> more than anything yeah. else. And I think, you know, we've seen and we've made some bad decisions over the years in our collective 70 plus years. But, you know, I think because we're always thinking about what can go wrong, you're always thinking about protecting against the downside. And as you get into retirement and that wealth distribution stage, you really have to start thinking about protecting yourself. It's not just about creating wealth. It's about preserving and living off your portfolio. It's a different mindset and a different portfolio. Well, you know, that's the whole thing. It's like sometimes you think, well, hey, I can read the Internet. I can watch a trainer train somebody else in the gym. Um, you know, I can make these investment decisions, but when you go on your own, you don't realize how hard that is and what a bad idea that can be. Right. Um, you know, first of all, when you go to work out on your own, you never do the things that hurt, right? You don't do the things you don't work out on the muscles that, uh, that you don't typically use because you don't want to feel bad the next day. You want to feel good. Same thing happens when you make investment decisions. You don't understand that there's a lot of risk. In investing. And you know, Rye, risk is something we only recognize in hindsight. And usually that means after you've lost a lot of money. So going yeah, on your own not, is not a great idea. Yeah. And you don't want to be reactive about your, your strategy and your retirement goals. And I think the other, I use a trainer as well, just like you, Bob. Um, and I just found that, you know what? Inherently, I'm lazy. And <laughs> I don't like to go to the gym. But when you know you're accountable to somebody, you have to show up. It makes a big difference. And I think the same thing is when it comes to financial planning, if you're not getting this right now, like every 12 months, you've got to look at what your financial goals are. You need to reevaluate. You need to look at your portfolio, look at your goals and be accountable to them. Because at the end of the day, the reason you're invested is so that you can live off your portfolio and have a comfortable retirement. When your goals and your investment portfolio aren't aligned, that's a problem. You have to monitor that. And most of us don't. We set it and forget it, which is a terrible investment strategy. Terrible retirement strategy. Well, that's exactly what it is, right? It's all about, you know, the end in mind, right? What are your goals? You know, when you set out a plan and, hey, oh, I want to get in shape. Well, what does that mean? You got to define it, right? When, when I speak to people for the first time about their financial plan, well, I want to make money. Well, making money is not a goal. Why do you need to make money? Do you want to retire comfortably? Do you want to have a lifetime of income you can't outlive? Well, making money and setting up a plan to accomplish those goals I mean, it's so diametrically opposed 
and it keeps you from making stupid decisions and making mistakes, right? Because when you invest with goals in mind, when you work out with a goal in mind, it's common sense. It makes it easy to follow the instructions that you're given by your trainer or by your CFP. Yeah, clarity and purpose. And if you're thinking to yourself right now, I don't have clarity and purpose around my retirement. I need to figure it out. I need a game plan to make sure I'm financially stable in retirement. Well, here's your shot to do it. We still have six slots left for the whole show. If you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement, Bob and I will run for you our total financial master plan. We'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review. There's not a firm out there that will literally do this work up front. We go as far as building you, your own personalized financial portal, give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life, and we're just going to hone in on every issue you need to address today, whether it's that income plan for retirement, how to take Social Security, your pension, how to draw from your portfolio in the most tax-efficient way. We're going to put together a full dynamic income plan, factoring in inflation so you don't run out of money. We're going to look at diversification. Markets have been a complete yo-yo for the last two years. Has your portfolio been up and down as well with no real clear plan? Or have you been sitting in cash, paralysis by analysis, can't figure out what to do? We're going to put together a full investment game plan, tie it to all your financial goals, show you how to grow your wealth, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street is the culprit when it comes to high fee tax inefficient products. We're going to do a deep dive of every investment you own on those annuities, insurance products, brokerage products, mutual funds, structured products. Do a deep dive of every investment you own. Show you how to reduce all the costs on your portfolio and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make. It's what you take. You'll get Bob and I's full tax playbook. We literally have six slots left if you saved over a million dollars for your retirement. All you have to do is text or call 844 844- 752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. If you're one of our next four callers, you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement. Our team of financial advisors and certified financial planners will help you to craft a unique total financial master plan that will help you to achieve your goals with the least amount of risk All you have to do is be one of our next four callers. There's no obligation. There's no cost, but you have to make a call. 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. Hey, if you want to learn more about myself and Bob and our firm, Payne Capital Management, of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E, simply go to bebullish.com. That's bebullish.com. And stay tuned. We got more. More money coming your way. Long Island's news and talk station is 1071 and 77 WABC. This is Bob Payne, Chief Investment Strategist here at Payne Capital Management with this week's market update. This week on the Street of Dreams, the market posted its highest close of the year as economic data continues to signal a resilient economy that is slowing but still growing and cooling inflation. All the major averages finished the week with gains. The broad market index jumped two-tenths of 1% for the week, and the Dow finished marginally higher. Both the S&P and the Dow wrapped six consecutive winning weeks, their longest run since 2019. The Nasdaq advanced seven-tenths of 1%. Now, November's non-farm payrolls report showed an unexpected drop in the unemployment rate. The jobless rate now stands at 3.4%, That's down from 3.9% last month. It was expected to remain the same. 
The economy added 199,000 jobs, slightly above the estimate, but well ahead of the 150,000 jobs added in October. Now, all eyes will be on the Federal Reserve next week with its latest policy meeting set for Wednesday. Some expect the Fed to not only pause once again on a rate hike, but actually to start cutting rates as early as next spring. Meanwhile, a closely watched University of Michigan survey showed an inflation expectation drop and a consumer sentiment jump in December to its highest level since July. Bonds also continued their rally, with the 10-year yield down from its year-to-date high of 5% back in October to 4.25% now. So investors, they also liked the November PMI report, as weakness in goods producers was offset by strength among service providers. The JOLTS report confirmed that labor market is cooling and suggests wage inflation will continue to do the same. On balance, the latest data confirms that the economy is slowing, but it's still growing and inflation is moderating. Sounds like a Goldilocks economy to me. Not too hot, not too cold, but just right. An ideal scenario for everyone, except for the woefully underinvested, and of course, the perma bears. Hey, my son Ryan and I, we have 75 years of combined industry experience in building low-cost, tax-efficient, goal-based portfolios. For your evaluation of your portfolio, all you need to do is text or call. 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply give us a call at 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. Hey, this is Bob Payne. I'm the Chief Investment Strategist here at Payne Capital Management. The 77 WABC mobile app. Download it now. It's more money with leading economist Steve Moore. Stephen Moore is with us, economist. With more than 30 years' experience as an economist and as a leading thinker of government on business, showing deep understanding of the shifts in the global economy, he's leading economist Steve Moore with more money on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show. This is WBC Tech uh, Talk Radio. By the way, I want to remind our listeners that if you're not getting the Committee to Unleash Prosperity hotline, uh, you got to get that. If you care about our country, if you care about the economy, if you care about what's going on with politics, uh, we will send you the Committee to Unleash Prosperity hotline for free. It is zero cost. There's no inflation here. It is absolutely free. All you have to do is sign up for it and go to our Committee to Unleash Prosperity website at committeetounleashprosperity.com and sign up for it. And if you'll, we'll email it to you every morning and you can read it in five or six minutes every morning, but you'll get a lot of uh, nuggets of wisdom. And if you like it, we'll just keep sending it to you. If you don't like it, you can unsubscribe, but I think you will like it. We have so many governors and members of Congress, and we have presidential candidates, we have CEOs, we have major members of the media who listen to to the advice and uh, read our hotline every day. So get that, folks. Go to committeetheunleashedprosperity.com. Just send us your email, sign up for the hotline, and you'll get it in a matter of three or four days. Okay. Now, um, if you are like me, you believe that one of the greatest threats to America's economic, financial, and national security right now 
is this massive out-of-control government spending in Washington. I don't care if you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican. Everyone knows what we are doing in Washington right now is extraordinarily careless, reckless, and dangerous. Um, and I didn't quite realize, like, I've worked on federal budget issues for 40 years since the mid-1980s. So I have a lot of expertise in this, and I've never seen anything like it. When I first came to Washington, our national debt was uh, just $1 trillion, and we thought that was an abomination that we were borrowing a trillion dollars. Now the number is up to, I believe, $34 trillion. I'm not sure if we've surpassed $34 trillion. I know we're right on the brink of doing that, and if it hasn't already happened, it's going to happen in a matter of weeks. So this is something that is could be the undoing of America. Now, I'm not saying we can't solve the problem. We can. We can. We've got to get the growth rate up. We've got to get the spending down. We've got to have more people uh, off the couches uh, working and paying taxes. So we can solve this problem, but we better you know, get serious about solving it. We have a president right now who is engaged in something um, that is, uh, I've never seen before. It's called modern monetary theory. And this is the idea that we can just borrow and borrow and spend and spend and nothing's going to happen. It's not going to ruin the economy. Well, we're already seeing the results of that with the, uh, massive increase in inflation. So I wanted, that's all a prelude to saying that, uh, one of my great friends for the last 30 years and colleagues in dealing with this debt crisis is, is the great Dan Mitchell. And Dan has worked with the Cato Institute. He's worked for uh, the, the Heritage Foundation. Uh, he is the author of many books, newsletters on, uh, on our federal fiscal policy. Uh, so Dan is with us, and he's written a new book with Les Rubin. And I love the title of this book. Let me make sure I get this right. It's called The Greatest Ponzi Scheme on Earth. The Greatest Ponzi Scheme on Earth. And, of course, that Ponzi scheme is our mass, massive national debt. And so I asked both of them at the last minute if they could come on because I was so excited about this book. I want everyone to get it. So Dan and Les, thank you so much uh, for joining um, Les, let's start with you. What? Tell us a little bit just about your background. I just met you for the first time a few weeks ago, and what inspired you to write this book? Well, well my background is in accounting, but I've been developing real estate for the last 50 years, uh, and I've been watching the debt grow, and, uh, and I've been a student, an amateur student of economics for a long time, but I'm watching with horror as I see us head towards the iceberg. I mean, our mm -hmm. ship of state is yeah. in deep, deep trouble. And I can see from the information that the government produces that we are in deep debt and we're headed for worse soon. And if we don't change course, we are going to have a disaster on our hands. Now, you, you use the per word Ponzi scheme. What do you mean by that? Well, in in finance, when you go to borrow money, you, the first thing the banker asks you is, how are you going to pay me back? So you have <laughs> right. to give them an answer. Right. Uh, when the government comes to me and, and wants to borrow money, I ask them the same question. How are you going to pay me back? Well, you get a blank stare. The only answer is, I'm going to borrow more money because my credit card still works. Well, that's a Ponzi scheme. And sooner or later, when people stop lending, the Ponzi scheme will end, and that will be a fiscal and a nightmare for this country. Well, you know, I, I uh, wrote a little blurb for the jacket of your book mentioning that uh, 
you know, one of the greatest Ponzi schemes of recent memory was, of course, was uh, Bernard Madoff. Remember him? And he had a classic Ponzi scheme where he just collected more money from investors and he paid those investors by getting other investors to come in and, and invest behind them. And there was no there was no investment or anything like that. And finally, the Ponzi scheme collapsed and people lost billions and billions of dollars. And of course, he recently died in jail where he belonged. But Dan Mitchell, thanks for joining, my friend. So uh, why don't you amplify a little bit about what Les was talking about? I mean, it, it doesn't seem like the more we talk about this a lot, <laughs> and yet Washington doesn't really ever seem to do anything about it. We, we actually start the book with a little story, and we ask readers, imagine that you're a resident of Greece about, uh, say, <laughs> right. 2005. Everything right. seemed great. Your economy yeah. was going along. Uh-huh. Uh, your interest rates were low because you had joined the euro, and everyone thought you were as safe to lend money to as Germany. Uh, and it was just a matter of, like, five years, and everything blew up. And that's our concern. That's what, that's what motivated me and Les to address this issue mm-hmm. because – we are terrified. You know, we, we, we both have children and grandchildren, and, and you know, you're in the same boat, Steve. I mean, the future is not looking good because our politicians are so utterly reckless and so self-interested in just getting uh, reelected and raising campaign cash that they are, they are doing the worst thing for the country. It's, it's genuine lack of patriotism properly understood. So um, what's the solution? I mean, you you and I have been fighting these wars for three to four decades. You know, we've made – I mean, we did balance the budget when Bill Clinton was president. People forget that. We had, a, you know, three or four years of balanced budgets. And then as soon as, you know, the next – you know, he was gone and Bush came in, all of a sudden the big deficits came back and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the problem is they're not getting smaller. They're getting bigger every year. I'm a – fan personally of some sort of spending cap. They have one in Switzerland. It's called the debt break. It works very well. Colorado, among U.S. states, has something called Tabor. That, even though the politicians there keep trying to weaken it, that works reasonably well. So what, explain it's what you're talking break. about. I don't think a lot of people understand what, you're, what you mean by a debt break. Yeah, the principle, of a, the principle of a spending cap is very simple. Government gets put on a diet. Government, spending can grow every year. But can, it can only grow maybe two or three or four percent. And if the private economy is growing by more than that over time, your deficits will come down. The burden of government spending right. as a share of the economy will come down. And, and when you mentioned how we had made progress under Bill Clinton, well, the reason we made progress is because when Gingrich and the Republicans took over yeah. in 1994, for a while they were really serious. And we really put the brakes on spending. For four yeah. years, it only grew 2.9% a year. And private GDP, in nominal terms, was growing like 7 or 8% a year. Yeah. Uh, yep. And then likewise, under Reagan, we made some progress. And when the Tea Party took over in 2010 for a few years, we made yeah. progress. So, so we know what works, but how can we sustain it? And that's why I like the idea of some sort of long-run solution, like the Taxpayer Bill of Rights in Colorado or the debt break in Switzerland. Good policy put handcuffs on politicians, tell them they can spend some additional money every year, but they can't be increasing government by 10, 12, 15% a year simply because they want to try to buy more votes. So um, well put. And I know there's two charts that I've seen. I think, Dan, you may be the architect of both of these, but one of them shows the direction of government government spending over the last 30 years and then the projections for the next 20 years and then uh, what and then the revenues and what that shows 
Dan, is that you know the revenues as a share of our output are expected to actually incrementally climb, climb a little bit over the next 20 years. So it's not that the revenues aren't rising. It's that the spending is in all of these forecasts just goes almost straight up. So number one, in my opinion, it's really not a revenue problem. It's an overspending problem. And second of all, you know, if you look at now, I'm in, I'm in favor of cutting everything, but that being said, it is true that the military budget has been pretty level and all of the spending that goes way, right through the roof is the social programs. It's the social programs, but even more specifically, it's the entitlements. Uh, now, yes, I just like you, I mean, we've been we've been making arguments why we shouldn't have various federal departments and agencies and programs. They should be shut down. They're counterproductive. But but all we need to do to make progress is limit government so it only grows maybe 2 to 3% a year. If we do that, that natural growth in revenue you were just talking about, uh, we'll have a balanced budget. But you know what? I, I'm not primarily motivated by a balanced budget. I think that's great. I'm primarily motivated by shrinking the burden of government relative to the productive sector of the economy. You do that, and oh, by the way, you do balance the budget, but the main goal is controlling government because I don't want resources being diverted from the productive sector of the economy to the most venal and corrupt and short-sighted people in America, the U.S. Congress and the people in the White House. So, Les, uh, you know, Dan mentioned entitlements. I, I have long, long been a supporter of turning Social Security into a 401k plan. And so um, I, I want to see those contributions of Social Security going into, you know, effectively a personal account that people can have. Because, look, my view is in Social Security benefits are too high. It's that they're way too low, given how much money people are paying into them. Uh, you know, we, you know we, you, when, when you talk about Ponzi schemes, the ultimate Ponzi scheme right now is, is Social Security. And I wonder what you think about that. Well, one of the suggestions that I made in the book was doing exactly what you just suggested, that we have personal accounts. Uh, it'll take a long transitional period because of the cost, yeah. but that is yeah. one of the specifics. Good. The more important issue is how do we accomplish this change? And that's mm -hmm. where I think what I've tried to do is start a, a, a nonprofit called Main Street Economics. And where I'm trying to do is reach the public. I Good. think the politicians aren't going to do anything <laughs> unless we get public support. So my whole effort here uh, in the book and the whole uh, Main Street economics is to try and reach out to the public so they understand how serious the problem is and will talk to their representatives and say, look, we've got to fix this mess. We are headed for disaster. So I'm talking to Les Rubin. Uh, and Dan Mitchell, who have a new book. By the way, gentlemen, is the book out yet? I know it's coming out, but is it out on the bookstands yet? Can it get? No, it's not. It's available for pre-sale now on Amazon okay. and Simon and Schuster. But the published date will be in the first quarter of next year. Okay, and it's called the greatest Ponzi scheme ever. And uh, Dan, so we talked a little bit about Social Security. I think we're all on board of. Uh, you know, getting rid of the pay-as-you-go system and really going to a funded system. What I'm not an expert on healthcare, and I, so I'm not an expert on Medicare. I, what do we do about Medicare? How do we control the uh, those costs? Well, the, the costs are outrageous. Uh, what what we spend on Medicare and Medicaid together are over one trillion dollars per year. Wow. So, Dan, how do we uh, how do we how do we reduce those costs? 
Well, Les and I addressed that in the book. Uh, uh, the three big entitlements on Social Security, as we just talked about, shift to personal accounts over a period of time. Medicaid is actually the simplest one to reform. We just copy the very successful welfare reform we got in the 1990s with Bill Work Clinton requirements. Yeah. Well, well, work requirements, but, but, even, but even more than that, just dump it onto the states. Say, here's a yes. big block grant. It'll grow at like 4% yes, a year. I like that as idea. Opposed to, as opposed to like 8% a year with this uncapped yeah. federal entitlement. And yep. then states yep. can innovate and experiment. Medicare is the hard one, but there's actually a very good role model. Federal bureaucrats have something called the Federal Employees uh, Health Benefits Program. They get to choose. They, in effect, get a voucher from Uncle Sam, and they get to choose from competing health care plans. That was actually part of the you – know, you know and I know, Steve, that we actually had some pretty good entitlement reform in the Paul Ryan budgets about 10 years ago. That was part of Paul Ryan's budget. Yeah. And Republicans voted for it several years in a row. We need to resuscitate those great ideas. I don't think Paul Ryan gets enough credit for, for what he did in leading the Republican Party in a productive direction. It's just unfortunately, you know, with Obama in the White House, we didn't have a chance to get those things through. But the problem is like five times worse than it was 10 years ago <laughs> because of the aging of our population. So uh, one of the things that I've been really frustrated about and think is just a fiscal abomination. And I wonder if you guys address this in the book at all. But, you know, Joe Biden created a 400 billion, not 400 million, 400 billion dollar green energy slush fund. And this is just to basically pay off all the environmental groups, all the solar companies, all of the battery companies and so on. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is the biggest uh, it's basically government is playing the role of like a hedge fund right now. And of course, all that money is going to be wasted. So can we get rid of that, Dan? Can we get rid of this? I mean, I, I've, I keep telling Republican leaders, stop funding that. We don't need $400 billion for green energy. Well, it's deja vu all over again, because you remember under Obama, we had all the yeah, green energy, right. energy programs like Solindra, Solindra. huge, huge subsidies to campaign donors uh, to yeah. Obama and his cronies. Now, we don't go through uh, in the book uh, every single program and department and explain why it's counterproductive, why it should be reduced or eliminated. I mean, we wanted to make the thing digestible to the average right. American. You know, right. Let's name this group Main Street Economics because we want to make sure it's accessible. Uh, we could have written a thousand pages. Uh, right. And uh, and then maybe had nobody read it. So, yeah. so we have to <laughs> okay. sort of make a decision, just address the big kahunas, the, the giant entitlements. And, and we don't even address them in great depth. We simply point out, as you started our program, there are solutions. It's not hopeless. It's just that we have politicians who don't want to do the right thing. And, and now, the, only way, the only way we're going to yeah. get the politicians to do the right thing is with public support. And that's what yeah. Main Street Economics is all about, is trying to get the public up to speed on the problems so we can put pressure on our politicians to do the right thing. Now, the one thing that is, and we've just got a few minutes left, but to me, the most important thing, um, even more important than any of the things you've all suggested so far, is we've got to get the economic growth rate up. So as you know, the projection for all of these dire forecasts projects 1.7% projects growth. We should have growth of 3 to 3.5%. Three and if you do that, by the way, then all, you know the catastrophic chain of events doesn't happen. You, you kind of bend the curve down. So what do we do, Dan and Les, to increase the rate of economic growth in this country? What kind of reforms do we have to make 
to get we more have people to get working. The government to stop to stop taking so much from the public. <laughs> That's leave, a good point. If we leave yeah. capital in the hands of the public yeah. where it's productive, that'll grow the economy. Dan, we got one minute left. Uh, any fi- what do you have to say about that? How do we get this growth rate up? Because you know, under Bill Clinton, one of the reasons we did get that balanced budget is the stock market and the economy really you know flourished. Well, uh, our big message is you need to have the private sector grow faster than the government. So, of course, growth is important. And one thing we do in the book is we have all sorts of case studies of countries that did things right, uh, like uh-huh. Ireland in the 80s and yep. 90s, Canada yep. in the 90s, yeah. uh, Switzerland with its, its spending cap. And we have examples of countries that did things wrong, like Greece and Argentina. So there's real-world evidence, well-documented in our book, showing what to do and what not to do. Well, it's a great book. Uh, it'll be out very soon. It's called The Greatest Ponzi Scheme Ever. Les Rubin and Dan Mitchell are the authors. Gentlemen, thanks for joining. Uh, folks, I th- hope you have a great, great day. Maybe you can get uh, some Christmas shopping done uh, today. We will be back uh, the same time next week. Vacation starts with VA. One thing you'll love about your trip to Virginia is that you'll never have to settle for one thing. All that you love is all in one trip. Start yours at virginia.org.